John chapter 13, starting in verse 34. I'm not going to take the time to do an overview because uh, there was already at least a little bit of an introduction this morning. We're talking about the church as a family, and we've done unity, loyalty, and cooperation. Uh, the things that your family does at home, around the kitchen table, or this is really the way. I haven't put as much emphasis on this this weekend. There's just not a, enough time for that. But uh, this is really what we should say. It's not the way that your family does around the kitchen table at home. It's the intent that God said whenever he spoke the words, I am your father, you are my children, your brothers and sisters. What does it mean to be family? And what does it look like if you're doing it God's way at home? We take that and we say, well, we are God's family. Let's do those things. And so we're unified. We're faithful to one another. We cooperate with one another. That's what we're doing this weekend. Thank you very much for being here. Um, you will. You don't need to do anything. I won't assume. I will ask that you please forgive me um, for not remembering everybody's name. I try. I try and say it. Uh, like Chris Traeger, whenever you introduce yourself and I shake your hands and I go, Ann Perkins. I'm not trying to be weird about it. I'm trying to remember your name. Uh, but there's a lot of you, and so I'm sorry. It is important to me, and I'm sorry that I won't remember that. Um, but uh, some new faces this morning. Welcome. And uh, this is a conversation. If you've not been here, I would like for this to be like an ongoing thing. Keep the conversation going after I leave. Keep the text messages coming and the emails. Let's keep it going. Uh, that's This is only the starter. And the idea is to get better and better and better. So if we're going to talk about family, we have to talk about love. What I would like to do before we get started with this whole thing is read only what one author has said about love, but the author is John and he has a lot to say about it. So, you know, good news and bad news. There's only one author, but... Uh, we're going to be reading a little bit. In John chapter 13 and verses 34 and 35, that's where we're going to start. And as we read, here's what I would like for you to do. We're doing this class right now at Ellisville, church's family class. And it's like a conversation. It's I'm on the floor. I'm asking questions. And this is the way that we did it. We can't do that now, but this is what I would like for you to do. As we read each one of these passages... What I would ask you to do is to make a list in your head of what are the things that Jesus says about love. So if it was a class setting, we would read it and I would say, what does Jesus say about love? And you would say uh, this, 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 and we'd write it on the board and we'd make a big list at the end of this whole thing. We're not going to make a big list, but do that as we go. Uh, we'll practice with the first one. John 13 verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So there's like three things that we would come up with in that one. Number one, you don't even have to wonder on this one. He says the words, a new commandment I give to you. So Immediately, we say, this is not a suggestion. When we talk about the love that exists within a family, and if we're going to talk about the love that exists within the family of God's people, number one, this is not Jesus saying, hey, 
your life will be so much easier and so much better if you do this thing, which is true, like all of his commands. That's not this. I'm the kind of person who responds specifically to this language where Jesus says the words, I'm telling you to do this. A new commandment I give to you. So number one, this is not a suggestion. This is a commandment. Uh, What else can we know about love in this text? He says, just as I have loved you. And that's a pretty big bar. (laughs) Jesus has loved us hard. He gave himself up entirely. He left heaven for our sake. He suffered as a human when he didn't deserve it. He was He allowed himself to be crucified for me. That's the love that Jesus has shown for me. And as you read through this and think about it very carefully, this is what Jesus is saying. The way that I have loved you, that's how you love you. That's a high bar. But again, we're not in the world of suggestions right now. So we've got three things. uh, That's two things on our list. Number Uh, 3, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. Have you ever been out into a public place and you see a man and a woman and, you know, they're holding hands and they like each other and they're sitting at the table and they're talking and you can tell they obviously love one another and you're sitting over by yourself probably like, that's gross. Can you just keep that to yourself or what? But you see the way that they are with one another, and your reaction is, they must, they must be together. I can tell by the way that they're interacting. I can tell by the way that they talk to each other, by the way that they like each other, and all of this. That's what Jesus is saying here. If we're going to be a family, and you love each other, then people ought to be able to say, oh, those people must be together. If you see me out in public, and I see you, and brother and we shake hands and we hug and we're glad to see each other and somebody is able to look and say oh they must be together that's what we we can't do that with all of these passages but that's what i would like for you to do Uh, what i would really like for you to do is if you take a picture of that or i'll send you the slide whatever it is send me a text i'll shoot it to you um whatever's mine is yours i'll share everything i have Uh, i've only got one set of notes but you can have it if you're the first one to ask uh at the end of this but um I would really like for you to take these passages. I would love it if you did this by yourself at your kitchen table with your family. Let's read these passages and let's make a list. Let's keep going. Chapter 15 and verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment. There it is again. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Uh, Let's see, let's jump down to verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's jump over to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9, we're going to do 9 through 11. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we see this contrast between loving our brother and hating our brother. Chapter 3 and verse 10. We're going to read all the way down to verse 18 on this one. 
By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoa, whoa, hang on one second. You have options now. You can love God's family, and when I see you out and say, oh, hey, they must be together, oh, they must be children of God, and if not that, the alternative is you're Satan's child. That's what, there's a meme for that. We would be like, that escalated fast. But we have two different extremes here on this. Look at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's how you know that you're one of God's people and that you're right with God. He says, this is how we know that we've passed from darkness into light because we love the brothers. This is the thing that I want you to get from this conversation. We're not messing around here. This is not lovey-dovey, it feels good in my heart stuff. This is some heavy Jesus' words, commandment type stuff. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I said I'm not going to stop and do this with everyone, and then I've been stopping and doing it with everyone. So I just can't stop this, because here's what sometimes happened in Bible class. It's like when Paul says to the Ephesians, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And every husband in the room, universally, this is a universal comment in all Bible classes, I would take a bullet for my wife. I would give myself up for her as Christ did for the church. And I believe it. That's what, that's, that's what we do. That's husband stuff. Um, would you cancel your fishing trip though? Uh, and gave himself up for her is not, I would jump in front of a train. It is, I will give myself up for you. That's what we're talking about here. You just keep on going. That's verse 16, right? By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Uh, chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. This is his commandment that we believe in the... Oh, man. This one always gets me. Look at this one. This is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. So we'll do some participation here real quick. Uh, how important is it for being right with God and being one of God's people that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? A lot important. Like, there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that verse puts you as next-door neighbors, this is what we do. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah and also that we love our brother. Have you ever done the thing where you don't love one of your Christian brothers or sisters? Uh, have you ever thought about it like this? 
that's like on par in a passage like this that's on par with not believing that Jesus is the Messiah we're taking the love conversation to the next level in these passages that's why we're reading it because most of the time when we talk I'm sure when you saw the flyer or the thing on the internet that said we're going to be talking about the church's family and how families love one another it's like I love I love my family and you start reading what John said about it that's a whole different thing. We're in different territory with this stuff. It's not messing around. Chapter 4, let's start in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We learn it from him, and we do what he did. Let's just do two more. Chapter 4 and verses 19 through 21. Uh, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. You don't love God. If you don't love your brother, you don't love God. You see this all the time. You know, Jesus, Jesus said all throughout the Gospel of John things like, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the world is filled with people who say, I love Jesus, but don't keep his commandments. And I'm not sure that the best reaction to that is, to look him square in the eye and say the word, but this is what I'd like to do. You don't love Jesus. You think you love Jesus, but you don't love Jesus. And so this is the, this is the thing. Uh, God says, if you love me, then you love my people. And so there's lots of us who say, I love God, but if you don't love his people, then no, you don't. Second John 5, last one. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment. I like that. At this point, I come to Second John because this, this is John saying, hey, this is not the first time we've talked about this. It's not something new, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. So, love. Um, let me share this with you. This is one of those things that it's nice, like all of the stuff that we've been talking about this week, it's nice that the Bible says these things. It's really nice because if the Bible didn't say it, I, I wouldn't do this level of love. Well, I wouldn't, I'm, not, I'm not often very good at it. I wouldn't know what I'm supposed to do and I wouldn't try to do this level of love. I'm glad that God revealed his word to us and told us what he expects. But if you're a parent especially, you don't need to be told what love is and how to love your kids and what you expect. You don't need the Bible to say this stuff to you. And here's an example of that. The guy that you see on the screen is named Plutarch. He's not a Christian, doesn't care anything about Christianity. He's not reading from the Bible. He's um, a moralist, which means a preacher of his own like pagan religion. This is, this is how we're supposed to live. This is what we're supposed to do. And there's an entire tract that Plutarch wrote called On Brotherly Love. If you ever are having a difficult time falling asleep at night, pull it up for free on the internet and thank me later. 
It's not fun or easy to read. So we're only going to read a small part of this. But this is one of those things that's like, oh man, we get, we get this. We know this stuff. He says, is it reasonable to suppose that parents are indifferent when sons quarrel, hate, and malign each other, and array themselves ever against each other's interests and activities, and are finally ruined by each other, no one can say that the parents are indifferent. And you know what this means, right? That's not my normal vocabulary. My vocabulary would be something like this. Raise your hand if you don't care that your kids hate each other. Don't really raise your hand. (laughs) Just keep that one between us. But we're parents, right? We We know what's going on here with this. When you're a parent and your kids are bickering and fighting, it's not just annoying. It's like, come on, guys, that's not what we do in this house. We are a family. I love your mom. I love you. I want you to love each other. All families know this. It's one of those things that you don't have to be told. All families know this. This is the way that we're supposed to behave. And so... I really like this next one. Um, Let me get it up there for you. Hence, when on the other hand, brothers love and feel affection for each other, and insofar as nature has made them separate in their bodies, so far do they become united in their emotions and actions. It's beautiful language, isn't it? That's a really pretty way to say that. And they share with each other their studies and recreations and games. Then they have made their brotherly love a sweet and blessed sustainer of old age for their parents. For no father is so fun of oratory or honor or riches as he is of his children. Therefore, fathers do not find such pleasure in seeing their sons gaining a reputation as orators, acquiring wealth, or holding office, as in seeing that they love each other. And every parent in here is like, amen to that. I remember one time uh, I was walking from the living room into my kitchen, and I heard a strange noise coming from the kitchen. It was (laughs) nice talking. (laughs) And Luke, Luke is older than Lily, and um, Luke was sitting at the kitchen table with Lily, helping her with her homework. And nobody asked him to do it. Even now, I just get goosebumps thinking about that. I walk around this, the corner, and I can hear him, and he's just kindly teaching his sister, two, eight, two years older. He's two years older than her. And I was like, go and get Becky. And we listen, and we get our phone, you know, stick the phone around the corner so we can take a picture of this thing. And you're a parent. Doesn't that just make you feel great to watch that your kids love each other and they're getting along and it's what it's supposed to be? Now take that mindset and imagine that you're God and these are all of your children. Most of the time, are you just like, just love my people? Or are you just like, would you stop fighting with each other all the time? Please, we're a family of God's people. It's the thing that you know. We all know this stuff. And so brotherly love, that's what we're talking about. I, I uh, don't 
really prefer to go into these passages, but it feels like it would be preaching malpractice if I at least didn't mention two different verses in the Bible. Um, because this is such a concept, family was so important, critical to survival in the ancient world, uh, that there is a word, a specific word in Greek, and we find it in the Bible, that means brotherly love. Look at this one, first of all, Romans chapter 12 and verses 9 and 10. And, and there are some key things that I want you to pay attention to this. Romans 12 and verses 9 and 10 let love be genuine. There's where I want you to focus. And Paul says, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. That's the phileo, Philadelphia, brotherly love thing. But, friends, here's the thing about this. That first part of the verse that we read, the love that we're talking about is not showing up at church and shaking hands and saying, love you, brother. He says, let it be genuine. We're talking about the real thing. And the same thing is going to happen in the next passage, but, and we're going to talk a little bit about this. And so if you're someone like me, I want to tell you from the very start, if you're someone like me, I am not the lovey-dovey person in the room. Um, I don't talk that way. I don't act that way. That's not me. And so my reaction when I read a passage like this where God says words like commandment and being the child of Satan and the kind of love that we're talking about, the brotherly love that it needs to be genuine, when I read a passage like that, I get a little bit nervous because my heart doesn't just overflow with pitter-patters all the time. Um, so, so what do we do about that? There's another one, just since it's another word, brotherly love. First Peter 1 and verses 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Listen, for a sincere brotherly love. Those two words together. It's not just brotherly love. It is sincere. It's real. It's not just putting on and acting. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and the abiding word of God. I'd like to share with you the best example that I've ever seen. My favorite church history story. Um, it's not just one of these commandments, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, that it be genuine and sincere brotherly love. It's a picture of what it looks like. And I know that we have that with Jesus, but I'd like to show you another picture of what it looks like. In 260 AD, so a little more than 200 years after Jesus was born, there was a plague that just swept through the ancient world. And if you would like to look this up, the Wikipedia article, you're going to look for uh, the plague of Cyprian. And you should read about it because this thing is nasty. Uh, we're talking about death all over the place. And so here comes the plague, and there is an elder at the church in Alexandria in North Africa, and his name is Dionysius. And, and Dionysius is writing about what it was like to live as a Christian and in a church family during the plague of Cyprian. That's our context. That's what's happening here. 
He says, the most of our brethren were unsparing in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness. They held fast to each other and visited the sick fearlessly and ministered to them continually, serving them in Christ. And they died with them most joyfully, taking the affliction of others and drawing the sickness from their neighbors to themselves and willingly receiving their pains. So he's talking about contagious disease before the idea of contagious disease was there. It is, um, my brother is sick and needs help. And he is my brother, so I'm going to be the one to help him. Many who cared for the sick and gave strength to others died themselves, having transferred to themselves their death. Truly the best of our brethren departed from life in this manner, including some elders and deacons, and those are the people who had the highest reputation. And they took the bodies of the saints in their open hands and in their bosoms, and they closed their eyes and their mouths, and they bore them away on their shoulders and laid them out, and they clung to them and embraced them. All of these words, if you've ever been in a hospital or a house with somebody that you love who's in the moment of passing from this life to the next, you know what this picture is. Don't go. Don't leave me. Please don't leave me. And it's also one of those, you're not alone. I'm here with you. These words are not just words. I want you to imagine it. They prepared them suitably with washings and garments. And after a little, they received like treatment themselves, for the survivors were continually following those who had gone before them. And then this is where the contrast, this is, I love that story. I don't love that it happened, but I love the picture of, I'm with you, and I'm not going anywhere because I love you. But the thing that originally caught my attention when I was reading this in a class was the next sentence. But with the heathen, everything was quite otherwise. They deserted those who began to be sick. And fled from their dearest friends, they cast them out into the streets like they were half dead, and left the dead like refuse unburied. They shunned any participation or fellowship with death. So, I wish that this... We, we can't do this. I know that there's like a, a realistic limit of how much time we have and, and what we're going to do. But you know what I would love to do right now? Because this is always one of the things that is just the most touching thing. Um, just to open up the conversation and say, tell me about the love that you've seen. And you listen to God's people talk about the love from God's people that they have received and seen in the family of God, and just listen. It is an amazing picture. And my response is always, I want that. I want to be a part of a family that loves like that. I want to be loved like that. And it makes me want to step up and do better and love you in the way that I want to be loved. And so there are just dozens of examples, more than dozens of examples of things that we can talk about. I'll tell you the one right now that's happening at our congregation. There's a man who 
is older and he lives by himself and his son is not a Christian and taking care of his dad is a burden to him. And uh, this, the, he's, he's got to mention all this. And so there's a, there's a man in our congregation who organized a rotation to say, let's take shifts Monday through Friday. You come from nine to noon. You come from noon to five or something like that. And we're going to sit with him. And this went on for several weeks before I did. I'm ashamed like this. I should not have done this, but I thought, this is getting old fast to have to do this. And we're making announcements and we're sending emails and you go and you sit. And the reason why it's getting old is because, it, you know, the whole time in the back of my head, I'm thinking about the thing that Paul said, it, the person who doesn't take care of their own family is worse than an unbeliever. And so I'm just getting, I'm logical about it and I'm irritated about it. And one day one of our elders stood up at church and he said with real tears in his eyes, Thank you so much, church family, for this. And this is what he said. This is the thing that's allowing Ray to stay home right now. And I just thought, heck, I should not be complaining about that. That's what we do for our brothers that we love. When we love each other in the way that we should love each other and we're willing to go to the ends of the earth to give up our lives, for one another. That's the kind of love that we're talking about that you want to see in your own family and that God wants to see in his family. One last thing. I have to finish with this. This is the reason why I'm rushing through. I know I'm watching the clock. I know there's not a bell. Even if there was a bell, I wouldn't hear it, but I'm, I'm mindful of the time, so don't worry about this. But I want to tell you one last thing. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 with me, please, because this is the spot where I know I'm going to get myself in trouble whenever I start generalizing with men and women, but, but this is the spot where I assume uh, I'm speaking mostly to men in this one. This is the lovey-dovey thing. We're talking about genuine and sincere love, and a person like me says, I don't feel it. Um, my wires are crossed, and it's just, you know, my heart is not just overflowing with that the thing that I want to happen is not happening. And so I look down at my neighbor's house. There are just constantly people at his house, constantly people. They're, the grill is always in the driveway. The lawn chairs are always set up in the front yard. And there's just this flow of people. And one of my reactions is always something like this. You know, I can't hardly pay some people to show up to a potluck. And my, my thing is, what's wrong with me? That I don't have this, or that I don't feel this. So there's got to be something wrong. That's my default. I, I don't have the tingles and the lovey-dovey stuff. And so that's where we go to somewhere like Ephesians 2. And I know it's small text. I hope that you can see it. We're not going to read it. But on the left-hand side of that, in Ephesians chapter 2, you have a picture of the gospel. And on the left-hand side... It is what you were before you were a Christian. And on the right-hand side, it's what you are and what you have now that you are a Christian through Jesus. And so just look at that real quick and jump down to chapter 2 and verse 13. Because the thing that I want you to see is what had to happen in order to make that happen. That thing on the board doesn't just happen by itself. This is what you were 
but now this is what you are through Jesus. In verse 13, look at the second half. It says, I guess let's start at the first part. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It took Jesus shedding his blood to make that happen. That's the thing that I want you to see. Verse 14, he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus gave up his own flesh in order to make that happen. Verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus gave his life up on a cross in order to make that happen. And Paul even, it's not just Jesus. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on your behalf, uh, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given for me. So he's talking about that, but he introduces it by saying, I am a prisoner for you. It's not as hard as what Jesus did to make that happen, but Paul said, I need to get this message in your hands and in your life, and I'm willing to give up my freedom and to be a prisoner to make that happen. Jump down to verse 13, one more thing for Paul. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Here's the reason why I want you to see this picture. If you think the family thing that we've been talking about and the love thing that we've been talking about this morning is just easy and happens in a snap without any effort, you don't understand the gospel. Jesus gave his life to make this happen. And Paul gave his freedom and suffered to make this happen. And so maybe I don't just feel all the warm tingles in my heart, but I'm willing to give an awful lot to make it happen. That's the ask. The ask is, are you willing to try hard? And you think, oh, it's not working. Then try harder and keep going and suffer in order to make it happen. That's the true definition of genuine and sincere brotherly love. In 1 Corinthians 13, love is not something that you feel. Love is something that you do. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.